Welcome to Podcast 5 from Opening Up Cricket. Today we're going to be looking at the case study of a particular sport, Australian rules football, and to see what can be drawn from that to inform about how important the mental side of sport is and with a particular focus through the experience of last, what this year's um, champions, Richmond, what they did to be able to use mindfulness and meditation to take them from a position where they didn't qualify for the knockout stages of their competition to winning it. And this win indeed being their first since 1980. Now Richmond is a, um, a, a part of Greater Melbourne, I suppose. It uh, has a fan base from the, 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 the region itself as well as the eastern suburbs of the city and would be regarded, even from my kind of layman's knowledge of Australian rules football, as one of the bigger teams in the AFL. There's 18 sides and they are behind Carlton, Essendon, Collingwood, Hawthorne and Melbourne in the all-time list of of title winners so they've got some pedigree between 1967 and 1980 they won five out of 13 premierships so they're quite a distance from their heyday or their glory years and despite playing in the world famous mcg in front of around 50,000 fans each home game they have had this long period of underachievement that despite having dustin martin who was Indeed, sorry, he is uh, an All-Australian player for the last two years. He's also someone who, in this last period of, uh, of phenomenal success for the Richmond Club, won the Brownlow medal, which is for the best player in the whole competition, the Norm Smith medal for best player in the grand final. Um, and that, alongside his premiership medal that he picked up, made him the first person to have all three at the same time. So, for a club that hadn't won the main title for 37 years, it's interesting even from outside of this sport to think about what made the difference. In our first podcast, we spoke to Jonathan Northcroft about some of the background to why Leicester City managed to win the English um, Football Premier League and he pinpointed a few things in there which were mental which were things that Nigel Pearson and then later Claudio Ranieri did so I suppose it will come as no surprise that in this episode we're going to be considering some of the things that Richmond put in place to take them from um, a club which throughout the, uh, the, the 1980s after their last success had overspent by 2007 they were the recipients of the prize no one wants the wooden spoon and in 2016 bringing it right up to date had actually failed to qualify for the finals as i've already said finishing back down in 13th now this club would be used to expecting more as i've said um previous this is a club which is within the top six most successful of all time when the team of the century for the uh, the competition was named there were two richmond players in it so this is even from an outsider's perspective we look at their lack of success and think hmm, there must be something underlying that has happened there well i don't have the the knowledge or the time to go into why they've been so unsuccessful for such a period of time but what we can look at a little bit is 
what made them so successful in 2017. They started off with five straight wins, the first time they'd done that since 1995. And when they culminated in winning that championship, that was the, the their jump from 13th from the table to the Premiership. was the biggest ever improvement the league's ever seen. And this is within a very competitive environment. The AFL is the best attended league in Australia. And the statistics that I managed to pull out earlier showed that it's the fourth highest average attendance in the world. The Aussies love their sport. And in the state of Victoria, there is nothing like the AFL. I've spent a little bit of time um, in that part of the world. And it really is an obsession on the level with Premier League football here. So for these guys to get through that big battle with all the other teams to be able to triumph in itself is spectacular but the level of improvement is something which I think is particularly interesting to reflect on now they're a club that's used to doing things differently they indeed had the first female president in their league um, a lady called Peggy O'Neill who still is at the helm of the club and Dylan Grimes their defender put down put their success down to their blend of having stars and scrappers. So Dustin Martin, who I mentioned earlier, would certainly fall into the category of a star. But there's lots of other people within that team who perhaps wouldn't be regarded as the best players in the competition. But as a collective unit, they managed to step forward and do some really serious work. So they had that particularly bad patch where at the end of 2016, they'd finished a distance outside of the qualification spots. It's the top eight that go into a playoff system to decide who competes in the grand final and lifts the the premiership. Damien Hardwick, the coach, was realistic about their strengths and weaknesses and it's been documented in a really good article in the um, Sydney Morning Herald that he was open and detailed very accurately their strengths and weaknesses so that they had a position to move forward from from no hiding about what they'd done well or what they'd not done well that gave them a really good opportunity to make those steps forward how often do we find ourselves in denial about what we haven't done well and think it was just unfortunate it was just bad luck or if, if only's Hardwick decided that that wasn't good enough, made a very thorough list of things that are good, but things that also could do with looking at. What they also found, and this is something which uh, I have to rely on being told, a bit not being a big, um, a big fan necessarily of the sport, but Hardwick managed in 2017 to balance, and this balance is something which we can look at in other sports as well, between giving players the the autonomy to back their instincts, in this case to produce a fast-flowing kind of Aussie rules football, but also to do that within an organised structure so that it isn't chaotic. I think that's what we would definitely look at in a sport like, like football in this country, that you want to give the talented players the opportunity to do what they're good at, but also to play in a system that means everyone else's talents overlap in a uh, a meaningful way. In cricket, we also have that as well, that you want people to bat in a way that suits them, but also to be able to be organised enough within the way they're constructing innings and the way they operate in the field to stay in line with a particular plan. Now, all these things could get rather technical and we could be thinking a lot about the intricacies of Aussie rules football, but one thing that particularly struck me and 
And the reason why I've done this episode is because of something they did regarding the mental or emotional side of the game. They brought in a new practice of requiring each player to share personal stories, to, 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 to share their vulnerabilities. Now, in a macho sport like Aussie Rules, that would seem to be something which would be very unusual and, and, and very counterproductive in, in some ways at, at first first glance. But uh, Jack Revolt, apologies if I've said the name wrong, said that this process gave a real different perspective on life and football and it gave him a greater connection with the players. This again is someone who, like um, Dustin Martin, who we've mentioned before, is a stellar player. He's won two Coleman medals, which are for the most goals kicked in a season. So for a serious player to, to step up and, and and express that that kind of process is useful and in fact is a different perspective on his whole life would make others in his team and outside of the team start to feel that there might be something in this kind of practice. So they worked a lot on uh, on channeling their emotion, trying to find a, a balance between too much emotion, which then leads the brain to force you towards a fight or flight kind of reaction, which isn't appropriate in a game of sport where you have to um, execute your skills. But also, then if you are uh, nullifying emotion, if there's not enough adrenaline, then that's something which can mean you're not pumped and not up for the game and not perhaps making the benefit of where emotion can be really useful. Now, Dustin Martin... This guy's name is becoming more and more familiar as we go through. Credited the practice of mindfulness and meditation as key contributors to both his and the team's ability to find emotional balance. This is extraordinary. This guy, as I've said before, won every individual and team accolade you could get within that season. This is someone who, within a, a group in that Richmond dressing room, would surely be someone they would look towards as one of the cultural architects as someone who would set the tone and if he is believing so passionately in the practice of mindfulness and meditation then that would be something that would be along with what we've heard from Jack Rivolt be very very persuasive to other players now what I've mentioned there I've drawn from an article by Tom Cartmill who is a sports psychologist or, or who indeed a, a more general psychologist sorry um, and he wrote that in the Sydney Morning Herald I'll include a link to that within the links for this uh, podcast on the, uh, the, the website so Dustin Martin is mentioning how important mindfulness and meditation is to him which when I read this having been prompted by a um, a friend of the campaign in, in Australia that for me was perhaps the first time I'd actually seen a top level sports person say how important mindfulness and meditation is but it's all good and well someone saying it from a theoretical position or from a campaign like opening up where you're expected to hear things about mentality and psychology and the brain. But to hear it from a practising athlete and one who is at the pinnacle of his sport really got me thinking. Dylan Grimes, a, another player within the Richmond setup, has said that he wanted to be able to find his flow more regularly. That of being in being in the present totally and in control. I think everyone who's played sport at 
any level would be able to identify a particular time where you have felt in the zone or in the flow where what you end up doing, your action, whether it's throwing a dart, playing a cover drive or catching a rugby ball, you just seem to do naturally because all that you're focused on is that it just flows rather than worrying about the trajectory of the ball or what's going to happen afterwards or what happens be- happened before. So Grimes is, is absolutely spot on in saying that, yeah, all sports people want to be able to find their flow more regularly. And he'd done a little bit of reading about the practice of mindfulness and meditation. So he'd got a head start on this. But what really pushed it forward for the Richmond squad was Dan Richardson, their general manager, brought in... Emma Murray, a mind coach and mindfulness expert, and the the key quote for me is what Dylan Grimes said about his work with with Emma Murray. He said, I realised quickly with Emma that the problems I faced, every athlete faces the same battles. And he goes on to say, I felt instantly the problems I worked on were normal. That is such a transferable quote. What he'd been thinking about by sharing that with someone else and sharing it across a group in time, normalised these things. They weren't just problems that resided in his head. They were ones which he was able to gain the knowledge that other people had issues and challenges with. And because of that, the solutions were there available from the helping guidance of uh, Emma Murray in this case. So by accessing that, by being vulnerable by exposing himself to a weakness or an area for development, Grimes was able then to really, really make best use of this. There'd been some overlap, um, and indeed in some of the research I did to this, um, there's there's a lot of mention of a guy called Michael Gervais, who'd done, who's done work with the Seattle Seahawks. And in fact, in the process of constructing this podcast, I listened to a little of his podcast his own podcast and that might be the best one i've ever listened to in terms of sports psychology and mentality in sport it's called finding mastery if you put that in your search in itunes or or wherever you get your podcasts and he's got a load of episodes with people like stuart lancaster from uh, english rugby union across a range of different sports all detailed in depth full of really really pertinent information and ideas so i would recommend people to go away and and interact with that but gervais was the was someone who others like say emma murray or dan richardson who brought murray in will have been exposed to but of course the beauty of what emma murray did for the for, for richmond was to be there on the ground and to provide these regular conversations with with the players now there's another article which um I would I would really recommend to people, I suppose I would because it's on the opening up website, but it's by a guy called Nick Peters who used to play for Surrey and is now a, um, a clinical psychotherapist and he writes for us about um, the idea of the winning mindset and how important it is to tap into mentality in, in cricket in, in our case, but also how important it is to separate that from the rest of your life. And expressing and showing vulnerability is actually a very important thing for maintaining emotional balance. Once again, I'll include that link on the the website, but you can nip into that via the It's Not Weak to Speak tab on the website. So, sorry, slight digression. By the start of 2017, the Victoria season for Richmond, 
they'd made it, uh, Richardson and, and the team at the, the club had made participating in Murray's programme compulsory. And what's really telling is that Dustin Martin was the most engrossed in the programme. From an outside perspective, there's two chapters in Comrade Marshall's book, Yellow and Black, which charts the season before and the season of the um, illustrious season. Two chapters of this are dedicated to Murray's work. And I can't recall a... A tale of a of a club sporting success, including two chapters solely dedicated to the work that a mind coach or a mindfulness expert has done. But in this case, it clearly is something that was incredibly important. Through this reading, I was then directed towards and reminded, in fact, of the work that a, a fellow called George Mumford did, most famously with the Chicago Bulls. The incredibly successful side under Phil Jackson where you had Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman and you've got work that he's done with people like Kobe Bryant from today uh, from today's uh, more recent basketball saying that this guy gave them the insight to how important mindfulness is Michael Jordan who if you ever read any polls or opinion pieces on the greatest sports people of all time jordan's in the mix he's always around there and he said that the key to maximizing his talent and potential was the work that mumford did on sports psychology mindfulness call it what you like so once again this isn't just a fluke of it being included in aussie rules this is on the other side of the planet, in the NBA, one of the most competitive sporting environments in the world. So, it's all good and well explaining that these things were really good for these players and that they used them, but that's too abstract. What did they do? And what is it that Mumford, Gervais or Murray would be advocating to these players? Well, in the case of Murray with the Richmond team, they looked at two main areas from what I can understand. The main Perhaps the overriding one of anything would be helping players keep focus, not getting swayed by the fact that they'd have anything up to 100,000 fans cheering them on or booing them. But within that, again, it's easy just to say it's important to keep focus. But she developed with them a a set of in-game fixes to help them get drawn back towards their own idea of how to focus. Now, that could be physical or it could be verbal or or mind um, affirmations. It might be a particular key word to get them focused once again. This would overlap with anything that we've seen regarding the use of visualisation and imagery for people to be able to keep themselves centred and focused. But I particularly found the idea of the in-game fixes interesting. Martin Crowe, years ago, spoke about the need to engage one of your senses between balls in cricket so that you can then keep yourself in the present moment, not focusing on the scoreboard, about what's happened before, what might happen next, distracting thoughts of am I going to get out this next ball, but actually just putting yourself in that situation to focus on those few seconds which are to face the ball and then giving yourself a chance to switch off and then switch back on to do the same. Because if you approach anything like that with an attitude of I've got six hours to bat or I've even got an hour to bat, then that is a long stretch of time to be considering all in one chunk. Very difficult to concentrate entirely for an hour. 
But if you're then able to break it down and have it in lots of mini sections, it suddenly becomes that much more achievable. Now, in a sport like Aussie rules, faster paced. So it would be the case that perhaps, yes, they do need to be concentrated a little bit more directly at each point. But it is easy to get distracted in any way, whether it be at work, whether it be in sports, in conversation, listening to this podcast, whatever it is. It's easy for the mind to drift. But those in-game fixes, getting players to identify what would work for them to come back to their optimum performance, something that really got me engaged and really thought about how that could be applied elsewhere. The practical element of this was that before every weight session, Richmond's defenders meditated. And Murray used the term of the mind muscle to describe the brain. Now, that should be something which would make perfect sense for cricketers. Steve Waugh talking about how high a percentage the game is mental compared to physical. But like we say at sessions, how often do people actually do any mental training? How often do people work on their powers of concentration and focus and resilience? Might not be practical in a club environment to sit down and meditate before you go out to have your net. But there's lots of things on offer which can help you to maybe think about different tips and techniques. The easiest route is through meditation. The opportunity to give your mind the practice, the skills to be able to focus on just one thing, what's going on at that particular moment, nothing outside. And cricket really does have an excellent transfer to that. Whether you're bowling, you're fielding, you're batting, there is only one thing you need to concentrate on. That helps keep your mind clear, focused, and gives you the best chance to show what you can do after hours and hours of training. So I was really interested to read about the experience of Richmond in their triumphant AFL series and if you're wanting to know more about it then the book that I've mentioned the articles that I've given reference to will as I've said a couple of times already be in a link section that accompanies this podcast but my thing my thing to to leave people with is if Michael Jordan who is kind of the byword for a dominant force in his sport recognized that the practice of mindfulness and meditation was the key to him being successful, then it's absolutely foolish, surely, for an average player in cricket, football, rugby, whatever, to think that that can't be something that benefits them. We certainly won't have the talent for our sport that Michael Jordan does, but in terms of squeezing every bit that we do have out of it, then this practice of mindfulness and meditation that helped take Richmond AFL team from 13th to their to the title their first in 37 years is definitely worth considering thank you for listening any comments feedback always greatly appreciated until the next time goodbye